Well, good morning. We are starting week number four of a four-part series called I Love This Place. Now, if you're new to Stuttgart Harvest Church, this may be your first, second time here, you have picked really a good day to be here. And here's why. Because I'm going to kind of pull the curtain back and give you a peek inside of who we are as a church. You're going to get an insider's look. Like most people, they just they don't find this stuff up until much later in their experience with the church. But we're going to let you know, we're going to let you in on that today. You're going to get to kind of peek behind the curtain and know who we are. One of the things that really drives us as a church, we're going to give you that peek. Now, this is something I learned back in 2000 five from a guy named Andy Stanley. And I want to, I want to kind of present this to you as accurately as possible because this really was speaking my language and what was really on my heart and what I wanted to do as we began to this church planting effort. And, um, and it was in 2010 that this concept and this idea arrived here with Stuttgart Harvest Church in Stuttgart. And so we're going to give you kind of a peek behind the scenes of who we are. All right, here comes this peek. I know for me, I can't say for you, but for me, if I'm facing an important life decision that is significant to me, and I need some, somebody involved in that, if I have to choose between A, a total stranger, or B, a trusted friend, I'm going to pick B. I'm going to pick a trusted friend. And I think the key word there is trusted, someone I trust. Now, if someone comes into my life and they try to become a trusted friend too quickly, this is probably true for you too. If someone comes and tries to be that trusted friend too quickly in your life, you begin to wonder, hey, what's up? I'm not sure I can trust them. They're becoming friendly way too fast. This is a little bit weird. And you may not trust them. So the key word there is someone I actually trust. that's who I'm going to choose. I'm not going to choose a stranger. And here's something interesting. There was some research done, and the research was why, why would someone start, so people who were not going to church at all, why might they begin going? And you know what they found out? They found out that, shockingly, it was not the advertising it was not uh, the, the cool things that the church was doing. That's not why someone would start going. I mean, the few, but most were, were not that reason. It, it was not um, just, just the fact that it was a kind of a cool place. Here, here's what they discovered. The reason why someone would start going to church when they weren't going to church, most often the biggest influence... Here's what it was. It was the consistent encouragement of a trusted friend. It was all about the relationship. That's why they went. That's why they started for most of them. There was something about a friendship that over the course of time, over the course of time, eventually someone's heart would kind of open up and they would say, okay, okay, I I will. I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll go to church with you. Interesting. Do you know that in the Stuttgart city limits, just about, this is pretty accurate, just about when you see 10 people, only three of those people were probably in a church on that, on any given Sunday, just about three out of 10. 
And you know what? That's pretty close to being true for all of the surrounding areas too. Arkansas County, that's true in Lono County, that's true in Jefferson County and in Prairie County as well, pretty much. Interesting, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying where someone would say, oh yeah, that's my church. I'm saying someone who actually walks into the door. Well, not into the door, but through the door. Stuck on Harvest Church, we might walk into the door. It's kind of shiny glass. Can't see it. That's pretty interesting, huh? Here's our purpose statement at the church. Our purpose statement says this, that we are loving our Father, family, and friends. And for Stuttgart Harvest Church, that's our goal. That's all we want to do. That's our strategy. We're going to talk some about that today. But, but, but we decided for us, there were some things that were not going to be part of our strategy, at least for now. And I can't see it changing, but I mean, our, our strategy will change. But we decided for us that, like, you maybe have heard of churches talk about revivals. There's, there's nothing wrong with revival meetings. They, they have been part of churches, and they have seen great things happen through those. But we just decided for us, that's just not going to be a part of what we do. That's not part of our strategy to have a revival week or a revival weekend, a, an event that's called a revival. That's just... For us, that's just not part of who we are. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you don't hear us talking about things called like friend days where we just want to see a whole bunch of people on one, on one day and we call it like, like bring a friend. So take all the people you know that are going to another church and invite them to your church on that day so you can see real big numbers of a lot of church people. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, really. I, it's just not part of our strategy it's not part of who we are. Because we have a, a different goal, really a different strategy. And our goal is, is relationship, friendships, for you and for me to genuinely, very simply, but genuinely loving the people around us. And what that means for us, here's what that means, is we, each one of us, myself included, are always investing in relationships, in friendships, for the sake of eternity. Now, in this series, we reminded you about the purpose statement. We're, we're loving the Father, we're loving family, and we're loving friends. And we're not doing, really, as a church, anything more than that. That is what we have decided. That's all we're going to try to do. We're not even doing that perfectly. So we're just like, we're going to just do that as best we can and try to do a little better every year. Loving the Father means that we are learning as a church, we're learning that worshiping our Heavenly Father has to do with every single decision that we make in life. That's worship. We're either worshiping Him with every decision or we're worshiping ourselves or someone else. And we decided we're going to try to love the Father by worshiping Him with every decision that we make. We said we, we want as a, as a church to love the Father, we want to also love the family. And it's, and it's you, the church family, that we are learning to love. And we said that that is, that is you loving the family is how we help you get into a small community of believers within the church. And, and that, in that small group, that's where you, you get love and that's where you get cared for. And that's where you're able to love and care for others. And that's also where we have some belonging and some accountability. That's part of loving the family. And then the last part of that statement says that we're loving the father, we're loving the family and friends. And friends, that's what we're focusing on today. It's loving everyone around us, our friends who are not yet connected to a, 
a body of believers, and many of whom may not be connected to God. We're learning to love them. And we see this pictured in the very first church experience. And we have that recorded historically and accurately. It's, it's the part of the inspired word of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, listen to how this is described. Luke is writing this, and he's describing the beginning, how this whole church thing got started as God launched the church. In verse 42 of chapter 2, he says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about a couple weeks ago how that is part of worship. It's what we do here too on the weekends as we talk, we teach from what the apostles taught, from what Jesus taught, from what the prophets taught. It's part of worship, not all of worship, but part of it. And they, they did that. He said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And in that fellowship is what, what happens for us in that small group of believers, in the small group. And to sharing the meals. They do that too. They eat together. It's a good thing. I love that. It says including the Lord's Supper. And it also says and to prayer. And that happens in the small group as well. But then it goes on to discuss how they kind of cared for each other. And when there were needs, they came together and they helped meet those needs. But then in verse 47, it says this. All the while they're praising God and enjoying, listen to this, the goodwill of all the people. And when it says all the people, they're talking about the people outside of the church, the people not connected to the church, the people, many of whom not yet connected with God, the people outside of the church. He said they enjoyed, when they were doing what the church was designed to do, loving the Father and then learning to love each other and the small groups, the small community setting. He said, when we were doing that, then we enjoyed good relationships with the people outside of the church. It's like they were looking and seeing, this is for real. They really mean this. They're living what they're talking about. They're not doing it perfectly. They're, they're not doing it, doing it, you know, like Jesus would do it exactly and precisely, but they're doing the best that they can to love him, love each other, and they're seeing something genuine there and then they're seeing genuineness in the relationships that they had with those people and it said they enjoyed these good real genuine relationships with the people around them and then look because of all of that how God used those relationships look what happened and each day Luke records this each day the Lord added to their fellowship in other words added to their church to their to their group of believers, those who were being saved. And what did it say? Daily, people's lives were being changed. Why? Because they had an event? Nope. Because they had relationships with the people around them. And they saw something genuine happening. They saw them genuinely trying to love the Father as best they could, genuinely trying to love each other as best they could, and genuinely loving the people around them. And that's what God did. And I look at that and I say, that's what God is doing at Stuttgart Harvest Church. That's exactly what we were hoping, and that is exactly what God is doing. And no, we're not doing it perfectly. Yes, we're missing in so many ways. But God is in the process of doing this, using you and me, changing you and me, and loving the people around us. Wow, it's amazing to watch. They were in good relationships with the people around them that were not yet connected. 
God was doing the drawing, drawing them to himself, but he utilized those relationships in their lives. Now, Peter, who was one of the disciples, and he spent a lot of time with Jesus, more than many of the other disciples did. Peter kind of describes how this works as well. He says, this is, this is how it needs to work. This is how it should work. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, talking to the believers, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, make sure Jesus is the center of your life. He said, teenagers, put Jesus at the center. He said, parents, put Jesus at the very middle of your life. Married people, he said, single people, he said, everyone in the church, make sure Jesus is the very center part of your life. That's the first thing. Then he said, now just go and live your life with Jesus at the center. And then he said this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope, the hope that you have. Now, who's going to ask you about your hope? Probably not the stranger. Probably not the person you just ran into. Probably not the person that you just walked by. It's going to be the people who have seen you living with Jesus at the center of your life. Now, please note, Peter knows, God knows, you're not, I'm not, none of us are going to live with Jesus at the center of our lives perfectly because we have all messed up and we're going to mess up some more. He said, just put Jesus at the center and live your life as best you can with Jesus at the center. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you are going to have times in your life where the wheels come off and things go wrong. And something is going to be inside of you at work. It's God's spirit in you at work in your life, changing you. And the people are going to see, yes, you're imperfect. And yes, you blow it. Yes, you make mistakes. But look, they have something happening in their life because they see you at work. They see you at school. They see you just living your life in the neighborhood and in, in your friendships and relationships. And they're going to say, they've got something I don't have. There's something different, and they're going to ask. And who is it going to be? It's going to be the people, most often, the people you're in relationship with, your friends. And Peter says, be ready to give them an answer of why you have that hope. Even though you're imperfect, why you have that hope. And then he gives us this little reminder, but do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because you're talking to your friends with gentleness and respect. You know what this is describing? It's describing reaching out to the people around you in a natural, normal way. It's not carrying a sign of hate. It's not shouting a message of hate. It's simply living your life with Jesus in the center and loving genuinely loving people around you. You see, as we live lives that are changing in the process of changing, just gently living those lives around our friends, around the people we know, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our people at work, then those very people, you know what's happening? You are communicating hope and love to them. You see, we're, we're in relationships with people every single day. You know the best, one of the best ways to invest in that relationship 
is to actually listen to what they have to say. To actually listen, not be thinking about what you want to say next, not having this uh, agenda that says, I, I need to be heard, but just simply listening to them. Because sometimes the best way to love people is to be quiet and just to simply listen to them. Invest in their life. Genuinely love that person. Not pretending that you have it all together. Not pretending that you have it all figured out. Not pretending that you're perfect. But you taking your imperfect life and loving the people around you. Investing in them. Seeing a need in their life. And doing your best to be a part of meeting that need. We simply invest in relationships around us. That is what we as a church at Stuttgart Harvest Church are called to do. And then you know what happens when you invest in their lives, genuinely loving them around you? Then you will have the opportunity. You'll have the opportunity to invite them to sit beside you at a worship gathering just like this. And as we get crowded just like we are right now, then you have the opportunity to invite them to stand beside you somewhere in the room just like we're doing today. We as a church want to partner with you who are part of this church and you who are growing to love this church. We want to partner with you. And here's why. So that you can, you, you can do what you do. And that's to invest and love the people around you. See, I can't love those people around you. Why? Because they're around you. They're not around me. And you can't love those people around me because they're around me. But as you love those people around you and I love the people around me, then we come together as the church. And we, we do as a church, we partner with you in this process. Because you're investing in their lives for the sake of eternity. In other words, in these relationships, we want to be honest enough, honest enough to put our motives on the table, not to be sneaky about it. We just want to lay it out there, put it on the table and say, your life matters. And I, I really do believe that there's an eternity because Jesus said, hey, we all spend our eternity somewhere. We all spend our eternity somewhere, and I, I want to make sure you have the chance to meet Jesus. We want to lay it out there. Does that make sense? Here, here's what's happening. We want to make sure that in our friendships, we have the kind of integrity needed to have the kind of conversations needed in our friendships. I, I grew up going to church. My parents, they had me to, at church every time there was something going on. And all the regular things, I was always there. The special things, I was there. But here, here's the regular things. You may be familiar with this growing up in the South. We had Sunday morning, and at our church, we also came back and had a Sunday night. And then we had another thing that was a church meeting on Wednesday nights. That's three nights out of the week. And then there was this other night. And see, there was less people. There was more people at Sunday morning, the few less on Sunday night, then a lot less on Wednesday night. And then uh, there we had this other thing that we did on Monday night. Some churches do it on Tuesday, some on Thursday. Ours was on Monday. It was called Monday night visitation, and there was almost nobody there. <laughs> but we had it, and and we knew we were supposed to go. 
we, nobody wanted to go, and the ones most usually, the ones who were there didn't want to be there, but they were there. And do you know what Monday night visitation was? It's, it's kind of crazy. And there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. It's just, this is not one of our strategies at Stuttgart Harvest Church, but, but this is my background, and this is my experience. So let me, let me share with you what it was like. I remember when I started going to Monday night visitation, I was 16 years old. And, um, and this is how, this is kind of how it worked. We would show up at church, uh, the church building, and, uh, there would be a room with, uh, cards laid out all over tables, all over the room, these blue cards, index cards. And on every card was the name of somebody who did not go to church. And I, I don't know how they got these names. I, they had some kind of special intel out there somewhere, like the CIA, and they gathered up names of people all over the community that did not go to church, and their names were on a blue card on that table. And we would show up in that room, and we would kind of group ourselves into groups, about a carload of people per group, and we would go through the names, look at them, say, and we would pick out you know, two or three, maybe four names, and we'd say, these are the people we're going to go visit. Monday night visitation. And we'd have a prayer, and we'd all go out. And we'd get in our cars, we'd go out. And so we would show up, we'd read the address, we'd show up on the porch. We may or may not have known that person. Most often we did not. Um, and we would show up on their porch, unannounced, uninvited. They didn't want us there. And we knew that, but we went anyway. And we would climb up on the porch. Someone would ring the doorbell or knock on the door, and we would all just kind of watch. We were watching windows. We were looking for, see if we would peek out the blinds. Uh, we were listening for noises with people, you know, tell their kids, hey, shut up, shut up, shut up. They're at the door. Shh, don't move. And we always showed up about dinner time because back in the 80s, that's when people were at their house about dinner time. And so we would show up unannounced, and we would try to get in the house and that, I mean, we wouldn't like break down the doors or anything, but our goal was to get in. But we didn't really want to go in. We were kind of hoping that they wouldn't answer the door because we didn't really want to be there. Not that we didn't love them or, or well, we didn't know them, but we just knew we were supposed to do that because that's what that church did. That was their strategy. And so that's what we did. But it wasn't very effective. And it certainly was awkward. But do you know what was missing in that? Relationships. I mean, we didn't know them. They didn't know us. And even when they did know us, they didn't want us there because we weren't invited. And that's why to this day, if you go to a church, sometimes you won't fill in the address stuff because you don't want them showing up at your house, right? <laughs> I promise you, I'm not going to show up at your house. I'm not just going to show up someday. None of us, we're not going to do that to you. But that was their strategy. That's the background I grew up with. And so the thing that's missing is the friend. The thing that's missing is the relationship. You see, sometimes even with that, as I grew up, you know what we began to think? We began to think this way. We began to think, you know what? I, I'm doing the right things, and I've been doing the right things long enough now. I kind of have become kind of holy and and that person's not doing the right things, and they're not holy. I need to get them over here doing the right things so they can be holy like me. And we developed this Christian culture of people doing the right things to be holy. And if you're out there, you're not being holy. If you're in here, you're doing the right things being holy. And we developed this mentality that you've got to get in here. You've got to get into the inside and be a part of the inside. 
It's this Christian culture thing. We have a tendency to develop. And you know what that does? It builds walls between the church and between the people who are not part of the church. Because they begin to project this, I'm holy and I'm doing it right. And you're not and you need to get in here and do it the way I'm doing it. It's, and it just puts up walls and it pushes people away. But do you know the best way to take those walls down and to really destroy those, those walls? The best way to get rid of those walls is for us to understand, to understand this. That the people who are not part of a church are not the enemy. They're our, they're our friends. And they are our family. And they're the people we work with. And we need to have those friendships and relationships with our friends. Why? For the sake of eternity. We don't need to put up walls to push people away. We need to actually go out and pursue those friendships and those relationships for the, for the sake of something much bigger. But if we aren't careful, like any organization, if they allow those walls to go up that kind of push people away, that organization begins to think about just what's happening on the inside. And they begin to think what's happening from the perspective of what they want to happen. From the perspective of saying, I, 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 this church needs to meet my needs. They, why, aren't, why aren't they doing things the way I want them to do it? As those walls go up, they begin to think about themselves. They begin to say, why aren't, why aren't they doing that for me? I heard they did that for somebody else. Why didn't they do that for me? They begin thinking of themselves. Now, one of the illustrations of this in the New Testament we see this happen in a city called Corinth. And the city, there was, the city was kind of a rough, kind of a tough city, kind of a tough place to be. Very multi, you know, religion, all kinds of religions, all kinds of temples, all kinds of beliefs. And Paul comes in, this guy named Paul, he's a church starter. He comes in and he starts a church for these people. And God does some amazing things. He grows the church. Lives are changing. And it has a great representation. It's a multicultural church, multi-backgrounds, all kinds of backgrounds. But something happens later. Paul leaves and he's starting other churches and Paul gets word. Something happens. We don't know exactly what happens, but Paul writes this letter to these people after many years have passed. He writes them a letter because it seems like the church, instead of growing, is now beginning to crumble and implode upon itself. So some tough things are happening. I mean, they, they've started arguing and fussing and fighting. It's like somebody, somebody in the church gave the ping pong table away that was falling apart and somebody got mad about it because they had given it to the church. And then like other people were mad about the carpet color and someone was mad about the paint on the walls and someone was mad about, you know, just all kinds of stupid stuff. That's kind of what's happening here. And Paul writes him this letter to kind of straighten them out and say, listen, y'all kind of have forgotten what this is all about. You've kind of left why we did this and why we started this and what this was all about. He said, we need to bring this back together and focus again on what this is all about. 
And Paul begins to do that here in this letter. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in verse 19 where Paul is giving them insight as to what their jobs should be. It's not about fussing. It's not about looking out for you. He said, here's what it should be in verse 19. He says, this means I'm not bound to obey people just because they pay me. In other words, he's not saying, I'm not telling you these things just because I'm on a payroll somewhere. He's saying, this is the truth. I'm not bound to to obey. He said, I have become a servant of everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. You know, a servant is, 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 in this case, he's saying, I chose to become a servant. He's saying, I, in this case, it's someone who is choosing to say, okay, I, I'm gonna, I, I have rights, but I'm going to push them aside. I, I, I'm going to do away with my needs. I have needs. I have things. I wish they were done this way, but I'm going to push that aside. I mean, they're not doing it exactly the way I want it done for me, but I'm going to push that aside. I would rather that they sing this or that they do that or that they have it this way, but I'm going to push that aside. That's what I, I'm, what I want. I'm going to push it aside. I'm going to choose to be a servant. I'm going to choose to not have my rights. I'm going to push that aside. But it seems like the problem today is that nobody wants to be a servant in many places. The problem today is everybody wants to be served. And I mean, sometimes at best, service might be involved, but they're going to serve themselves. They won't, they'll serve themselves first and serve themselves best. Paul is saying, you know what? Relationships, they matter. The other person matters. He's saying, we're going to do this the way Jesus did this. You know what Jesus said? He said, I came not to be served. Jesus, who is God. He said, I came here into my own creation not to be served. He said, I, God, Jesus, your Savior, I came to serve. Paul is saying, we're going to do it like he did it. We're not going to force our way or our rights or our demands or our preferences. We're going to push that aside like Jesus did. He said, I came to serve. And here's how that works. As we love the people around us who are not part of a believer's group, who are not part of a church, as we love the people around us and we serve them, that means we're investing in their lives. And as we invest genuinely, genuinely investing in their life, the opportunity arises where we can then invite them to sit beside us or stand beside us at a worship gathering. It happens. And you know what happens at the worship gathering? The church partners with you and we introduce them to the possibility of them having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if we're not careful, we, any organization, ourselves included, can develop these, these walls that slowly emerge. These walls that say, I, you know, I've been living this way and I've been doing pretty good and I, I'm, I'm getting more holy now. I'm pretty holy. 
they're not holy, I'm holy, they need to come in and do things like I'm doing so they can be holy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus. Not developing this little club for holy Christians. And so as we live our lives, we don't want to do it like this video we're going to show you. Watch this video. So we don't want to do it like that. Because you know what that is void of? That, that is inviting people into a Christian culture, this club. We are all about inviting people into a relationship, a relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul gives us this idea of what that looks like. He explains it in verse 20. He says, when I am with the Jews, I become one of them. He said, I am friends with them. I hang out with them. I am one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same. Even though I am not subject to the law, I do it so that I can bring them to Christ, he says. In verse 21, when I'm with the Gentiles, who basically a Gentile, anyone who is not a Jew. He said, when I'm with people who are not Jews, who do not have the Jewish laws, he said, I fit in with them as best I can. He's not saying I go out and I drink it up and I party it up and I'm just like doing everything there. No, he says, I'm around them. I, I am their friend. I'm investing in their lives. I'm around them. He says, I, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, he says, I gain their confidence. In other words, this is real. It's genuine. I become a trusted friend. They are my friend, and I am their friend. I gain their confidence, and I bring them to Christ. But he said, I, I don't discard the law of God. He said, I'm obeying the law of Christ. Christ, what? He said, I came to serve. Verse 22, when I'm with those who are oppressed, I share in their oppression. In other words, he's saying, when I, I'm with people who are hurting, I don't just offer them some kind of, oh, I'll pray for you. And I don't offer them some kind of just, just Christian ease words. No, I I sit beside them, and when they hurt, I'm their friend, and I hurt beside them. When they're oppressed, I, I, I'm oppressed with them. When they hurt, I hurt beside them. Why? Because we have a relationship, and what that's what friends do. He said, when they're oppressed, I share in their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. In other words, he said, there's a reason why I'm a genuine, real friend. He said, because I want to bring them to Christ. Paul is listing really every demographic group in that region. And he's saying, I am doing everything I can to be a real, genuine friend to all kinds of people. All kinds of people who are not yet connected to the church. I am doing this for all kinds of people, setting my preferences aside and loving and serving the people around me. Why? 
because I want to see them connected with Jesus. I have a reason. And here's what we're saying. We want to make sure that in our friendships, we have the kind of integrity needed to have the kind of conversations needed. And then Paul says this. He says, yes, I try. I try. I work hard. I search for common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy the blessings. In other words, he says, this is real, genuine friendship for the sake of eternity. This is about something bigger than my own interest, something bigger than your interest. We at Stuttgart Harvest Church have learned we are investing in the lives of people around us as genuine friends. I am becoming their friend. They are becoming my friend. We're investing and we are then inviting them to sit beside us or stand beside us at a worship gathering like this. You see, most churches that I have been a part of before I started planting churches, most churches I have been a part of, here's what we did. We invited and we ignored. But that's not what we do. We invest in their lives genuinely and we invite. Do you know why a lot of churches that I have been a part of, some traditional churches in the past, why they didn't invest in lives and invite people? One of the big reasons was because they were afraid if there were too many people from the outside that came in, that the people who were already there on the inside might get upset. Because the people on the inside wanted things done a certain way. The people on the inside wanted them done a way that they liked, that they wanted, that, that met their needs, that they they were happy with. This is the way we want it. And if we do it differently, the people who are on the inside might leave. If we don't make them happy, if we don't do it the way they want it, they might leave. And that's why a lot of churches I have been a part of in my past, that's why they became so inside-focused. They were afraid that those people who were coming would leave if they didn't make them happy or do it the way they wanted it done. But you know, perhaps the greatest thing you can do here is to understand that what you do personally in your relationships with other people is going to drive what we do here collectively. When we talk about investing and inviting, it's something that you do personally. It's something you do individually. And as you do that, here's what happens. What we do at the church, what your staff does, what your, your leadership, your pastors here do, it keeps us on course. If you have people that you have been investing in and they are now sitting beside you for their first time or their second time, it keeps us doing what we do, focused. Your relationships on the outside Keep us focused here on the inside. And we need that. 
as long as you're investing in your friends, we will, as a church, stay on course. We will always see things that we're doing, and you will see things that we're doing through the lens of your friends, and it will keep us on course. Here's how that works. When you have invested in a relationship, a family member, a friend, a coworker, and you've been loving them, and serving them, and, and gently inviting them, one day they're going to show up, and they're going to say, okay, I'll come this week. And they're going to be beside you, standing beside you somewhere. You're going to be hoping they have a seat. You're probably going to hope that someone who is here all the time might even offer their seat to them, and they might stand to the side. But you're going to hope that they're right there beside you. And you know what else you're going to hope? You're going to hope, you're going to say, man, I, I hope Harley and, and whoever might be teaching with Harley, whichever pastor might be up here, I, you're going to say, I hope they are on today. I hope that, I hope that they make sense. I hope they prepared. I, I hope that they're ready. I hope that what they say is going to encourage and going to inspire and going to help them connect with Jesus because I have been inviting them for so long. Don't blow it today. They showed up, Harley. Don't blow it today. We don't have the opportunity to have a Sunday where we just say, oh, well, it was just kind of off today. Because that might be the day that your husband or your wife or your son or your friend or your neighbor or your coworker decided to show up. We don't have opportunity to be off. And you're going to hope that when the music happens, when, when what's happening with the music, you're going to hope that that just flows and just escorts that person toward the cross and encourages them that there is a God who loves them and he is their father, their heavenly father. And Jesus who died for them made that eternal sacrifice for them, for their eternity. You're going to hope that that music escorts that person towards the cross. And you're going to hope that when they walked up on the porch for the first time, that there was someone there who was getting them a name tag and they were friendly and they weren't overly aggressive and they weren't in their face. They just gave them a friendly smile and a welcome and a hello and made them feel a little more comfortable because they knew the name of at least one person who was on the porch. And then as they move towards the cafe, you're like, man, I hope all the expiration dates are good today. <laughs> hope they don't have stale donuts and I hope they don't have old treats that expired last year. You know, you're just saying, I hope, every, I hope they feel treated as they move into this worship experience. And I hope they feel special because we think they're special. And I hope that's been communicated in how they move into this room. You see, when you have been investing into relationships and loving those people and serving those people, and then they show up on that one day, you hope everything goes your way? No. You hope everything goes their way. Because you have said, I'm going to push my needs out of the way. I'm going to push my desires, my preferences, the way I think it should go or the way I want it to go. Or, hey, meet my need, do it my way. Hey, why don't you pay attention to me? You're going to push all that to the side. And you're going to say, hey, this is about them connecting to him. I'm getting out of the way. But here's what we see. 
what I have seen, since I, I have kind of moved into this whole moving into an area, helping churches get started way. And I, I'm here. You're stuck with me now. I'm sorry. You're stuck with me. But here's what I've seen since 2005, the past 10 years. The people who have complained the most were the people who never had someone sitting beside them that they have been investing in. And here's what happened. They took their eyes off of the people around them and loving them and serving them and they put them all on themselves. And when that happens to enough people inside the church, the church implodes. The walls go up and they're, they become afraid of losing the insiders. And you know how, what we feel like about that? If you're an insider, if you're in here, if you're part of the church, we have to stay outside and love and serve the people around us. Because if we don't, then the church stops, the walls go up, and they just serve each other. And they can never function as God has asked them to function if that's what they choose to do. There have been a few times in the course uh, since 2000. Five. I've been here since 2010, but I had years experience before that doing the same thing we've done here. And there have been times in the past 10 years that I've actually had to go to somebody and say, we're going to need you to leave because we cannot and won't stop doing what we have been called to do to just focus on you and to just pay attention to you. You know how we get our needs met in the church, primary, the primary way. There, there are other ways. Small groups are part of this. There are other ways. But the primary way our needs are met, here it is, by meeting the needs of someone else. You know what that proves? That this life I have and this church that God has formed it's not about me. God has placed you here to love the people around you. So here's what we're asking you to do. Today, if you are our guest today, this is your first time, second time, usually by the time someone's here three times, they're like, yeah, this is my family. <laughs> if you're our guest today, we're just simply asking you this. Will you just journey with us? We're not trying to force you or push you into any decision. Will you just simply journey with us? And in that journey, our hope is that you will come to the place where you see Jesus and you say, you've died on the cross for me. You purchased my life, so I'm going to give it to you. I'm just going to be upfront with you. That's our hope for you. Will you just journey with us? We're not going to try to force you into that. We're not going to push you there today. We're just saying, will you journey with us? Will you investigate the claims of Christ alongside of us? Will you just come along and journey with us? If you're a guest, will you just journey with us? And for those of you who are here week after week after week, and you look and you're saying, I'm growing to love this place. This is my home. This is my family. And here's what we're asking you to do. Will you simply keep loving 
and investing in the people who are not yet connected to a body of believers. Just keep loving them, keep serving them, keep investing, and keep inviting, gently, lovingly inviting them to sit beside you. And that's where we as the church will partner with you to help introduce them to Jesus. As they ask, be prepared, as they ask, what's different? Why do you have this hope that I seem to want but can't get to? Will you journey with us? And if you have been with us, will you keep loving the people around you? Because you know what? For almost every single one of us, there are a few exceptions, but almost every one of us are in this room today because somebody loved us enough to invite us. Sometimes we stumble across the church on the internet, on Google, and sometimes on Facebook. But most of the time, for the vast majority of us, we landed here because somebody that we trusted invited us. Will you keep loving and serving the people around you? Inviting them to sit beside you or to stand beside you when it's standing room only. Don't stop loving and serving and inviting because it's who God called us to be at Stuttgart Harvest Church. Let's pray. God, you have asked us to look beyond ourselves, beyond what we prefer, beyond what we want, beyond what our own needs are. You've said, push that out of the way. Look beyond that and invest in the lives of the people around us who are not yet connected to a body of believers, some who are not yet connected to you. God, as we do that, and as we come together as the church, as Stuttgart Harvest Church, God, we want to partner together to introduce people to you. And God, for those who are guests today, for those who are, are our treasured guests, we just ask them to walk with us to journey with us as they investigate your claims. And God, as they investigate you, you have promised us when we seek you, we're going to find you. And God, as they discover what you did for us, your love that sent Jesus to the cross, his sacrifice that paid the price for all of us, and your spirit who draws all men to you. God, they will submit. Many will choose to, some won't. And you will take our lives and begin changing them and transforming them. And then we keep investing in the lives of the people around us for the sake of eternity. God, help us do it. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. And we use this song, God, to express a heart of worship to you. You are an amazing, amazing God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.